Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livigno to Levy. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Good day, everybody out there listening to this Visma Ski Classics podcast, Living Yo to Levy. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and in today's episode, we are really taking a deep dive into the greatest and biggest ski race in the world. And of course, we are talking about Basalopet, one of the grand classics events in Visma Ski Classics. And on the line, I have sports director Tommy Herklund. So how are you doing today, Tommy? Thank you. I'm doing fine. I've just started to work after a nice uh, four-week summer holiday with some rain, but um, I have had a nice summer. So now I'm ready for the autumn coming and the winter. So tell me, you just mentioned that you had a nice summer. What have you been doing? Yeah, I have been close to my home due to this corona pandemic and you cannot travel. So I've been uh, visiting... uh, not climbing, but walking up to close mountains around the Mura area, Sjælland. I've been picking cloudberries, blueberries, strawberries. It has been a lot of berries this winter. So, And I have been working on an old uh, forest house out in the forest. I'm uh, repairing an old house. I have been quite busy, but I have stayed at home in my home, own bed every night. So not, not long traveling at all. What about Sweden? Are things a little bit different over there compared to, for example, other countries around, the Scandinavian countries or in Central Europe? Uh, What kind of life are you guys (laughs) experiencing? We are allowed to to go to work. Uh, School has been open the whole time, uh, but still we should uh, keep distance from each other. We should not be more than 50 people coming together. So this has been a bit problematic for uh, organizers of different events. For example, uh, if a restaurant have 200 guests, uh, it's fine. But as soon as a musician steps on the stage, uh, only 50 people can be in there. So it has been a bit, a bit uh, what should you say, uh, disturbing and problems with how to follow these rules. And uh, for example, a lot of sport events has been canceled due to this 50 um, maximum 50 people rule. So it's a bit tricky to have uh, events coming up. But the country is open. We can travel all over. We can uh, visit friends and so, but still we should keep distance. And of course, if we feel uh, a little sick or something, we should stay at home and isolate. So, of course, this is affecting your summer events at Vasalopet. Yes, it does. Uh, normally, we should, uh, next week, when we should start with our mountain bike Vasa and the weekend after our running uh, competitions. But we have now been able to, we will not host it in our normal arena. We will organize the home Vasa. So, people who are entered, and they could also enter afterwards, uh, to take part in the home Vasa. The, we will have an an app on the phone where you uh, connect your entry and then you uh, perform your Hemavasa bicycle or running 10 till 90 kilometers uh, and it will be recorded as if you would be in the Vasa Lopet arena. So 
when you have done 23 kilometers, you will pass Mongsbudana, wherever in the world you are. Or after 90 kilometers, you will come to the finish in Mura, even if you are in Australia or in Finland or wherever. And the race will be valid for uh, our uh, uh, triple. We have the, if you ski, if you do a ski race in winter and running and, and uh, bicycle, you will have a Vasalope triple. And this summer event will be valid for that. And we will send out diplomas and we will try to do as much as possible. But no people, we will not organize here. But we have understood that a lot of people will come to Sailand 5 o'clock next Saturday morning, they will start running. 8 o'clock, they will start bicycle. So, And this is allowed as long as people follow these restrictions about maximum 50 people. So we will see what happens next weekend. Certainly really interesting times we are living in. But do you think this kind of virtual sports event uh, phenomenon that's taking place right now uh, will continue even after the pandemic? I think it will continue in one way or another, but it will not... uh, The main events physically on site will still be the the most important. But I think virtual races will be more... uh, It will come up more. And also with the technical devices, maybe we can have qualification races, seeding uh, competitions. Uh, you can do it at home and send in the results with the GPS file and uh, people can be seeded into start blocks. And so that, I think, will continue. Of course, it's a little bit more difficult for skiing. In, in cycling, you can have you know your, your bike mounted and, and same with the running, with the treadmills. Skiing is a little bit trickier, I guess. Yes, it is. It is. But... Going back to the uh, this winter, you guys got really lucky because Vasalope took place, uh, and right after that, the world changed pretty yes. much. <laughs> One week after, it w- would not have been possible. So we are first of all, we had a very big lack of snow, so we had to put a lot of effort to put snow into the track, uh, and then we were so lucky that we could could organize all the events. And then, yeah, five days later, the everything was locked down. But it must have been a bit of a nerve-wracking at that time because you probably knew that something might happen or you are like really cutting it close and you had some other problems as well. Yeah, it was nerve. We was nervous and we checked in our entry list and we found some guys from northern Italy in the region where the pandemic started or yeah, in where it was increasing in Italy. So these guys was offered to... Uh, because they was not allowed to travel. So we contacted them and told them that you're welcome next year. And we also checked if we had some people from China entered, because then it was China, Italy, a lot of talking about. But uh, yeah, we had one Chinese guy with the address in Stockholm. So I don't think we had somebody coming direct from China. And we had uh, so far no cases in the race, and we have not seen any increase in, the, in this region just after Vasalope, so we was lucky. I was actually going to ask you about that. Did you see any ramifications? Did you see anything? But I guess uh, everything went perfectly. Yeah, it did, but there was, we have heard afterwards that two Italian guys in the night was, they stopped their race in Evertsberg halfway, and they was take because they was not feeling so good, and they was taken care of by uh, volunteers, and these volunteers got really sick after the war. So maybe... We had some corona people in Evertsberg during Night Vasa, and we are not sure. 
but these guys uh, was uh, not feeling good and the volunteers got really sick afterwards but well, you never know you never know and i did night fasting as well so uh, hopefully i didn't get anything but maybe you uh, was close to these guys you never know <laughs> i could you never know you never know uh Still talking about the, this year's Barcelona, but before we kind of get into the history of the race and all the other uh, events that you've hosted so far, um, it seems to me that some people talk about kind of the Barcelona curse in, in a sense that the weather's been really bad <laughs> in the past years, uh, and once again it was really challenging. Yeah, we have had uh, we have races always uh, in ten days, and and. The Vasaloppet, the main race Vasaloppet has been most problematic weather the last years. We have had heavy snowfall, we have had rain, we could have had cold weather and there will always be really big problems with the tracks because of the big amount of people. And if we have fresh snow during the night, which we have had now for many, many years, it will be very bad tracks for the amateurs uh, coming afterward, after the elite. The elite skiers, of course, they they have also bad tracks, but they are professional sports people. So they will they will come to Mura if they come in four hours or in four and a half. It's not a big uh, a big problem for them, I would say. Is there any reason for it, or is it just a bad luck, or is it because it's kind of the turn of the month? You know, the uh, uh, March uh, is no. beginning. I think it's uh, only uh, bad luck. The weather is. Uh, uh, we have checked when would be the best period due to uh, snow depth to organize the race, and that is exactly when we have it. It's the end of February, beginning of March. There is the biggest amount of snow in this region, so so we will continue to be there, and we are also depending on. Uh, winter holidays for schools in the region because we use schools for accommodation we use the school buses for transportation and we use the teachers and the students for volunteers so we so we need to organize when they are available of <laughs> course say. and that is a traditional weekend everybody knows that and even many other events are built around it yes and yeah. Speaking of that, uh, and you mentioned seeding, and that's kind of an interesting system that you have, particularly in Sweden, but you have other races too, that you can go and, and improve your uh, start position. Yes, correct. We have uh, uh, all uh, classic uh, cross-country ski races longer than 40 kilometers with mass start. They are considered a seeding uh, race for Vasaloppet. And in Sweden, if it's a good winter, we have about 40 ski races during uh, the yeah, January, February, which will be uh, their reason to live, I would say, is that people come there to, to be seeded and have a better start position in Vasaloppet. And also the, the rest of the ski classic races are valid for seeding. So uh, we have a lot of people from other countries. They go maybe Giserska or Marchalanga and use that result to be seeded in Vasaloppet. Is there a particular system or is it just the kind of the time difference between the winners or the best skiers? Uh, it's a, a sort of system that we we check who is the uh, who is the best skiers in the seeding race and what was their position in last year's Vasaloppet. And then we calculate, uh, let's say, if the if the winner was uh, not in top 150 in the last year's Vasaloppet, 
then nobody will be seeded in row elite from that race. But if there is a lot of good skiers who was in top in Vasaloppet and uh, and you are close to these guys, you will be uh, seeded in row elite. And then we calculate about 10 minutes uh, in each start group. So if you are half hour after the winner and the winner is a famous uh, professional skier, then maybe you will be in row three or four or something like that. So it's a sort of, it's not mathematically objective. It's a, and also we have contact with organizers and uh, got get information. How was the conditions? Was it a slow race? Was it a quick race? And also we know the the course profile. Is it a tough course or a flat course? So we, so it's a sort of handcrafted uh, work, you could say, by skiing experts here in Mura. And sometimes uh, people get disappointed that uh, they are not. Uh, they think that they should be higher up in the start blocks but it functions uh, quite good could say yeah yeah i know how that is you know people get a little bit angry when they think that they should be higher up but you yes. mentioned that there are uh, pretty much every race that's over 40 40k but then you have some official vasalope seeding races is what's the difference there yeah the difference is only so that uh, official ones they have uh, they have paid a fee to be presented in our uh, homepage and in our uh, marketing so they are easier to find and then we also prepare a seeding list which we put out uh, the races are always on weekends on monday evening this expert group meet here in mura and then may prepare the seeding list and then we publish this list on our homepage. and also we have a system that when you enter an official vasalopet seeding race and enter with your vasalopet id uh, we uh, you don't have to contact us. We uh, follow with this ID and and put in in our computer and all people who were skiing that race and have a valid Vasalopet ID, they will be moved into the correct start block uh, by the computer. If you go uh, a small race somewhere which is not an um, uh, official seeding race, you must send an email to us and uh, also send the result list and we will check and do it more manually, you could say. That is the difference. A lot of work for you guys if you just go through all, all the results. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, I would say if we have 15,000 names in our start list uh, in the summer, one third of these guys will be moved from that date till start. So we, we make about 5,000 changings of start position, start block. Because if you are a beginner, a first-time skier, you will always be put in row 10. And then it's up to you to come with the results and tell us that you are better than that. So it's a lot of work. A lot of work indeed. And also you mentioned earlier that you have more than, we always talk about Vasalope, but it's just a, it's a whole week. It's not just the one race, the big, big Sunday. Yes. You have a week of all kinds of events. Mentioned that Vasan, a really interesting, nice race. Uppetspor, Che Vasan, so yes. forth. Yeah. It's a week full of action. Yeah, we have races in 10 days with a total of more than 60,000 skiers. And uh, it's from the youth Vasa from 11 years. They start in Eldris and go the last 9K up to, as you said, Spor for two days. And we have uh, a relay Vasa, which is a very uh, nice day. It's a, it's a lot of uh, companies who have, uh, they prepare and 
and enter a team by five people from and representing their uh, their uh, company what they're working for and then we have uh, five legs so we have a handover in Mongsbodarna Eversberg Oaksberg and Hökberg and that raises uh, it's more crowded on the road than in the course you could say because uh, all these guys have to come to the handover areas but it's uh, we have uh, more than 2000 uh, teams consisting of five people so it's more than 10000 skiers out that day and mm. you must have a huge organization for this uh, i know that there are a lot of people working for vasaloped uh, year round Yes, we are more than 30 people full-time working in the office. We have one office in Mura, we have one in Sälen. And then we have another, let's say, 50 people who are paid personally, like piece machine drivers, traffic responsibilities and so. And beside that, we have about 3,000 volunteers and they are representing a lot of different sport and culture organizations in this area. And they are paid to the to their sport club. So they, they are volunteers and uh, the organization, it could be the Mura Football Club or it could be the Sail and Alpine Skiers or whatever, who get money for that uh, work, you could say. And what do you do exactly as a sports director? What kind of responsibilities do you uh, carry? Yeah, my main responsibility is uh, the organization of our sport events, summer and winter. It means uh, I have a lot of contact with uh, landowners, with uh, uh, authorities, uh, the police, uh, healthcare, um, and of course, all these 3,000 volunteers. And they belong to about 60 different clubs. So I have a lot of meetings, planning with all these 60 clubs and preparing together with them. And uh, yeah, that's mainly what I do. And then in, uh, I have some connections into the International Ski Federations and to the uh, Cycling Federation in Sweden. So I, I try to follow the sport part and make sure that we organize the race according to the rules, that it's fair, that it's safe, and, uh, and these things, you could say. And now since your vacation is over and you're kind of back in action, can you kind of describe your typical day or what happens in September, October, uh, before the winter season begins? Yeah, a normal year without corona, we would say that now we should be in the finish work of organizing our summer events. Normally we should now prepare the track uh, uh, with the... Um, take out some grass, check the, the tracks, mark the mark out so everything will be ready, and then organize, build up the feeding stations, the safety uh, organization. So now it should be a lot of work preparing into the race. And then uh, you could say in September, we have a lot of work uh, after the summer events. Then we have meetings with all these 60 clubs to... Uh, evaluate and to find uh, improvement for the next year. And then in October, we start with, uh, we ordered the start number. So already in October for the winter race. And then we start planning with, uh, I should contact the police to ask for permission to have the road uh, one way direction and to organize uh, 
medical teams and everything, and then it builds up through the winter. And then in March, we have this evaluation period again. And then in April, we start with the summer. So that is about a year goes around like that. And for me personally, in uh, let's say late September, October, that's the most calm period in my year. So then I take uh, one week off and go for moose hunting with my friends home in Salem. Well, that sounds nice. Very yes, nice. it's a nice week in October. Uh, and also you have snow farming and snow production, and that begins, uh, I yes, guess, in correct. November. Yes, correct. We have uh, s- uh, snow production. We have an area where the our 30-kilometer races, like Sheivas and Kutvas, and, and so, where they start. There we have uh, automatically snow f- uh, production site, and we start... When we see in the weather forecast that it will be a period of cold weather, and that is normally in beginning of November, middle of November, there we start to produce uh, a lot of snow. And we have in our main plan that we should cover the area from the finish line up to Uxberg, the last 30 kilometers of Osalopet, that is uh, always covered with artificial snow. So we start producing the snow, as I said, in November, and we start putting out before Christmas so people can ski in the Mura area around Christmas. And then we continue moving up more and more close to uh, Uxberg. And the end of January, we make the new decision if we should go further up and uh, of course, we must have cold weather so we can produce the snow. And we have calculated if we should cover the whole area, the whole course with snow, we need about uh, uh, 120,000 cubic meters of snow. Only the st- like we did last year, only the start area in Salem from road 10 till the road crossing, it's uh, uh, there we need m- as much snow as we need of 50 kilometers, 15 kilometers of the race uh, track, you could say, because it's so wide up at the start area. <clears throat> but we have uh, in the future planning for more production sites because it's a lot of cost to bring the snow. It's cost for environment because we, we need tracks to carry the snow and also a lot of economic cost to bring the snow on tracks out in the track. And then what about snow farming? Do you save much snow? Every no, year? We, don't, we are not saving snow till next year because we still calculate, that because we have the race so late, uh, end of February, beginning of March. So we have calculated and uh, seen that we will have so many cold nights in that year and it's more efficient to produce the snow uh, some weeks before we should use it. So we are not... Uh, keeping snow over summer. Yeah, we have done it more uh, like uh, to have early season opening in Mura next year, not for the, the race snow, you could say. And also Vasalopet is uh, always uh, f- facing changes uh, over the years that I've been kind of involved. You know, they had underselling uh, uh, as a CEO. Now Evelyn Africa is leaving. Does that affect you guys that you have different bosses, so to speak, or it's just uh, no. it's so functional that, you know, you just... You just know what to do. and I think uh, the normal uh, day work runs, uh, I would not say without a CEO, but uh, I have been in the organization for 20 years. I have had uh, four or five different bosses. But I think the, the normal to organize the races, that will carry on. But of course, different CEOs have different uh, 
points that they would like to develop. And uh, I would say with uh, with uh, if we go back from the beginning when I started, it was uh, Rolf Hammar and Mats Bud. There it was uh, uh, more a skiing competition and the skiing event was uh, more a traditional way. And then came Jonas Bauer. Uh, with him, it was more professional thinking about marketing, sponsors, and uh, these things. And then with selling, uh, there we had more like, uh, uh, we started to work in uh, different projects, like in the industry, which was uh, interesting. And uh, now with Evalena, we have been, uh, I would say, even more professional with, she had uh, or have a very good contact from the bicycle world. So she have had a lot of ideas like that. So it's different, uh, to say, um, topics that uh, the different CEOs would like to highlight. But uh, the race uh, will not be so much affected, I would say. And we will talk about your history because, as you said, 20 years at Vasalop, but you must have seen a lot. But before we do that, let's listen to David Nilsson, the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, and find out what stories he wants to tell us. Yes. Yeah, Vasalop is in Sweden, it's more than a ski race. It's part of our Swedish cornerstones in our traditions every year. More people watching watching Vasaloppet on TV than most other TV programs in all categories every year. So it's not only a ski race, it's, it's part of the, the folklore culture and, and our tradition. So in in Sweden, being a Swedish person myself, you you have all these connections and ties to Vasaloppet. You always know someone in your family that's been doing it. Myself, my dad was doing it 10 times. And I had as a kid always to be there giving drinks every you know, 10K and going around sharing on him and so on. So so this is the stories people have in Sweden around Vasaloppet. Of course, I've done it uh, sometimes myself with different good and bad feelings of, of your shapes. So uh, in 90K, you, you get to know yourself quite well. But from a Vismaski Classics point of view, from a tour perspective, it was also the first race we, we contacted, seeing what we had work within in other sports and knowing the Tour de France concept with the, you know, showing a landscape product with helicopters, we, we saw that Vasaloppet had the potential and, and to be able to, to do within my favorite sport, cross-country skiing, it, it would be a great possibility to, to try and see if we can get it more international. Because at the time, as I said, Vasaloppet is and has always been extremely strong local race in Sweden in terms of uh, brand awareness. But it was not so known outside of of Sweden, and it was not seen on TV outside of Sweden. So approached Vasaloppet and Jonas Bauer, who was the CEO at the time, and and it was good uh, timing because he was looking how to to take the next step, how to internationalize the event, and we were approaching in the same method that this could help them to internationalize the event to get to new markets outside of Sweden to make it bigger, the brand and more skiers to come to the region and experience Dalarna in Sweden. That's that's where the story of Vismaski Classic began when we, 2007, started speaking with Vasaloppet and with what they have built since 1922, trying to put that together, keeping the history, but still putting it in a modern context. That, that was what Vismaski Classic is about. So Tommy, 20 years at Vasaloppet, you've seen a lot. 
But if you go back, kind of, uh, you know, the beginning of your Vaisalopet career, what comes to mind from there, the early days? Yeah, in the in my early days, which is uh, not so early in the Vaisalopet history, I always remember the chaotic Finnish area. There was no fences. It was. It was a mess of journalists, coaches, skiers, uh, parents. Everybody was inside the Finnish area running around. So the first thing I did when I came here was to try to organize that. We cannot, because I before this, I was an athlete in biathlon. I've been working as TD for biathlon World Cups and the competitions. So I know that you cannot have a, a Finnish area where people can run like nothing. So that was the first thing I tried to organize, that clean up the Finnish area should be a better picture for TV and know people. When the when the winner comes into Finnish, it should be the Kranskulla and the skiers and the necessary people was only the live uh, production TV people and, of course, the, the TD and the guys who should check the Finnish. But that was one thing I remember. It was chaotic in the Finnish area. <laughs> How did people react to that? Because I, I've seen pictures, you know, old pictures, you know, where they, as you said, people are like really close to the skiers, and and which is kind of nice, of course. But then again, we you put fences and kind of separate the people. But yeah. then again, of course, it's it's yeah. much better. But how did people react to that? Uh, yeah, some old people who normally uh, we we had a manual backup timing system, and but they considered themselves as the head. Uh, timing system and they had i think 18 people in the finnish area so, so they was disappointed when they had to move back i remember and also uh, one other thing i have seen on this 20 years the sponsors uh, for 20 years ago they was a lot interested in uh, exposure they had uh, banners they had uh, start number exposure but if we look at sponsors today they are much more interested in coming in connection with the, the trademark Vasaloppet to meet the skiers, uh, to be out there physically meeting with the skiers, not so much uh, exposure. That is uh, not, imp- yeah, of course, the start numbers, exposure and the banners, they are still there, but it's not the main reason why a sponsor is part of Vasaloppet anymore, I would say. Yeah, I think the sponsorship in general is changing. That is kind of the more engagement that the companies are seeking nowadays. Yes. Yeah. Correct. And also, Visma Ski Classics, or back then, uh, Ski Classics, uh, took place uh, during your career. Yeah, that started with Jonas Bauer as the CEO. The reason for this was that, yeah, one reason was that the long-distance skiers was not known profiles by the public. So we was a bit uh, nervous if we and hoping to have some World Cup skier on the start area so we could have some media attraction. But with Ski Classic coming in, we always know that the best uh, long distance skiers will be on the start area. They will ski the race. They, they are profiles. People know them. So Ski Classic have done a lot to increase the interest from long-distance skiing, I would say. So when you look at the brand right now, because you've been there since the beginning, and Vasalopet is one of the owners of the of the, the brand, how much has it really developed? As you said, now it is a professional circuit. 
it has developed a lot. And then I remember in the beginning, it was the International Ski Federation did not like so much what was going on. A lot of skiers, they uh, changed their career. They were skiing long distance skiing. And also uh, FIS was a bit uh, worried about a professional company coming in and uh, create rules and things. So it was a bit uh, hard discussions in the beginning but now everything has settled down long distance skiing with Visma Ski Classic is a well-known trademark which everybody uh, feels it's a positive thing so uh, I have seen a big development from a bit uh, suspicious uh, thinkings from the old-fashioned World Cup skiing till what we have today with a lot of profiles, the the big skiers, for example, Britta Nordgren, she was the highest paid skier in Sweden last year. And that says a lot about the popularity of the, organiz- of the Ski Classic. That really goes to show everybody that we have our own superstars nowadays. Yes. Yeah. So no, we don't have to beg for Charlotte Kalla or whoever to come to the start. We have the stars there already, which is very good. Then what do you think that needs to be do, uh, done in, in the future? You mentioned the, uh, we talked about the weather a little bit and those kind of problems uh, in terms of Vassalopet and Visma Ski Classics. What challenges are we facing, do you think? I think with the staff of Ski Classic, uh, they are a lot, uh, what you say, interested in development, comes with new ideas. We got last year an idea from David about uh, First Hill hill climb prize in Vasalopet and and new things comes all the time and I I am not so worried about that uh, we will find new develop interesting things but I, I also I think it's important that the, the races keep their history in mind so it will not be only uh, only show you could say and also it's important that uh, uh, both the professional skiers in Ski Classic and the organization are aware of that this big races, we have two categories. We have the professional uh, Ski Classic Pro Tour and we have the amateurs who are something different. So we must take care of both categories in a good way. And so far we have been able to do it. Uh, But sometimes it could be some challenges with that. Uh, We have for example, in Vasalopet, we have a history of a big mess start. We are, I think, on the only ski classic race with not separate uh, start for women and men. Uh, because this is one of the trademark of Vasalopet to have this mass start combined all skiers at 8 o'clock in the morning. And that, I think, is important that ski classic and everybody knows that that's a part of, a, of the history which is not only changeable, you could say. Speaking of that, do you ever feel kind of a, a pressure, not from the ski classics, but generally speaking, because it is a logistically quite of a nightmare because so many people and, of course, people talk about their, you know, the first uphill and getting stuck and so forth. And pretty much every other race is now going into the wave start. Uh, but you want to keep the, uh, the big mass start. Yeah, we have talked uh, internally about uh, dividing like the others do. We have talked to Swedish television and... Uh, we have come to the conclusion that uh, uh, the best, you could say like this, in the, the Vasalopet for 
for TV viewers, there is three categories. There is the men competition, it's the women competition, and it's, it's the big happening of Asalopet. And to follow these three things in the same picture, it's not possible. So if we should have an early start for the for the ladies, they should leave, let's say, uh, 7.30 in the half dark morning, and then nobody on TV should see them till maybe one hour later. Because it's so interesting for the TV viewers to to see the big mass of Asalopet and the start at 8 o'clock with, uh, should be the men. So I think we should not, uh, it, should, could, it could be negative for women skiing to send them out in the forest and pick them up one hour later with a helicopter. So uh, it's not so easy to... To do this good and also we have a lot of road crossings and we have a lot of practical things with this and we have speak to uh, i have had contact with some of the elite ladies girls and uh, some of them feels also a positive thing of skiing together with the men because there they can they can find a, a group where it's a high speed and that they are well positive things skiing behind some men or in front. So uh, we had some problems at the Finnish area some years ago with a sort of um, uh, interfering and uh, hindering. But now we have not have these problems the last year. It's It functions quite good, I would say. So I and think we will stay with this situation some years. And of course, Lina Kuskrens and also Britta Johansson Ukrens' great performances have shown that they, they are really strong. And yes, L- yes. Lina was like 50-something, 57th, I think, in overall race. So they can keep up with the, almost with the best of the men as well. Yes, so. they are fantastic skiers. But let's uh, take, take a bit of a dive into that uh, thing that you just mentioned, the event, the happening side of Vasalopet. Uh, I mean, it is a huge, huge uh, event with a long history, and this is kind of a question that I always ask. Uh, uh, but again, why is it so popular? What's what's the magic of Vasalopet besides the long history, of course, and the length? I think uh, it's a, a challenge for a lot of people that if you are born and raised in Sweden, you have been reading about Gustav Vasa in history in school. And then you have followed, because the the history of Vasalop is, you, is that um, Gustav Eriksson Vasa, who was uh, uh, caught by, Sweden was a part of Denmark in the 1500th century. And this guy, Gustav Vasa, he went to Mura and tried to find the people here to help him fight against the Danish um, king. And uh, Yeah, he was not positive uh, taken care of, so then he tried to escape and skied, as the history said, from Mura towards Norway. And then he was caught in Sälen and brought back to Mura and to Stockholm, and then he became the first Swedish king. So the the history of Sweden as a kingdom started with the Gustav Vasa escape from Mura to Norway. So that is the... The historical thing about the race there, and then, uh, and then this has been a part, and yeah, then it had happened nothing in 400 years. So, when they should celebrate that Sweden has been a kingdom for 400 years, the first Vasaloppe started. So I think a lot of people in Sweden uh, they have heard about this race, they have read about Gustav Vasa, and they have seen the 
and uh, dreamt of the challenge of doing that race once. And so now it's a lot of people, when they apply for a job and they send their um, uh, CV or the reference to a job, they mention that they have taken part in Vasaloppet, which s- tells the companies that this is a guy who have a good physically uh, level. It's a guy who have goals in the life. And so so it's very positive to to have been taking part in these races. And of course, uh, it's a big uh, reason to uh, go out training at home, to have a goal with skiing some race in the winter. Uh, here in this area, it's so traditional or what you say. So we have the, the year is divided into blocks, uh, you should say winter and summer. But here, on, we always talk about before or after Vasaloppet and before or after the moose hunting season. That's in March and October. So that is more uh, critical points than 31st of December, for example. <laughs> yeah, it's well known. It's settled uh, in generations back. So uh, the history is for us very important. But now in the modern uh, uh, society with a lot of people uh, moving into Sweden from other countries. They have never heard about Gustav Vasa and read about this and uh, their father and grandfather or whatever have done the race. So there we have a challenge to find new skiers who have not been brought up with this history. So that will be a challenge for the future. We will see what happened. And of course, Vasa Loped had a really humble beginnings when it started out only a few hundred, was it hundred something people? 122, I, I think it was in the first race. And then it was cancelled due to lack of interest in the beginning of the 1930s. So it could have been closed there, but then they fight it on. And, and then it started and uh, climbed over a thousand skiers in the beginning of 1960s. And after that, it has developed positive. But it took a long time because I know that uh, in the 80s, uh, Finland Diahito, for example, here in Finland, was the biggest ski race in the world. It was at the, in the Guinness yeah. uh, book. Uh, uh, but then something happened there that Vasa Lopet became bigger. Was it a television attachment or? Yeah, I think television has been a very good uh, marketing for Vasa Lopet for over the years. Because in Swedish television, we have we have 10 million people in Sweden. More than four million of these are watching Vasaloppet uh, more than two minutes on the first Sunday of March, which is very, very high numbers. That is so incredible that is, number. <laughs> yes, it is. So when when you think about the uh, the, the future now, I mean, at this point, uh, future of Vasaloppet is long history. Uh, we at this stage, uh, and you mentioned the challenge that uh, new people are coming in; they don't know about the race. Uh, anything else that you think that is something you need to put your focus on? Yeah, I think uh, in the future we must be more, uh, how should I say it in English? I think we must try to understand the reason why people come here. The Ski Classic group, they come here to win the prize money and to ski as fast as possible. And then we have people who are not at all interested in our, our in in the speed and the time they come here to to challenge themselves to make the race if they do it in eight hours or ten hours doesn't matter they have another reason they stop in the feeding stations uh, for half hour and uh, sit in the sun and whatever so we should be more um, 
taking care of different people coming here. And we know, for example, Shaivasan, uh, some years ago, we have 10,000 uh, women skiing in one day. And the reason, yeah, some of them, Britta and Lina and the, and the girls, they come here for the prize money and to prepare for the Vasaloppet. But 95% come here to have a weekend with their uh, friends uh, and leave the husband and the kids at home and to have spend a weekend in Mura and have a nice weekend. And a part of that is the skiing of 30 kilometers. So there we should be more flexible and try to organize the race so it will suit different um, reasons to ski here. And also in the summer we have bicycle and running. We have seen that. It's a, we thought in the beginning that it should be the same people, but it's not. It's uh, Of our 60,000 skiers, I think it's only two or 3,000 who also take part in summer. So it's other people. So there we also have a possible uh, thing to transform the skiers to runners and bicyclists and the other way around. So we will have people coming more times in, in the year. I know you're also part of the Visma Ski Classics Grand Classics series with three other races, which is, of course, really good for the elite athletes. But do you think that will also help regular folks that you have this kind of a new I think new- some uh, amateurs uh, from... Uh, mostly outside Sweden, would like to come and do these Grand Classic races. So I think we will have some more amateurs who would like to ski these four races. To ski all the Ski Classic races, then you must have a lot of money and no work. But to ski four races, I think it's possible. And that could, could happen. Some people would like to do that. So that will help, I think and enjoy a little bit of the magic of these big races. Speaking of a little bit of Vasalopet before we move on, I've been told that Vasalopet is the, I'm not so sure if this is correct information, but Vasalopet is the third biggest brand in Sweden after Coca-Cola, of course, which is the biggest brand in the world, pretty much, and then Ikea, and then Vasalopet. Is yeah, that true? There was some uh, research about this some years ago, and I am not sure if we are number three, but we are very high uh, in... Uh, if you ask Swedish people about if they know the brand, I think more than 90% have heard about Vasaloppet. But uh, then they think about the skiing race first Sunday of March. We have still a lot of people that we must teach about running and bicycle, <laughs> of course. You still have a lot of work to do. But now let's take a break and listen to our uh, pro team athletes and uh, what kind of stories they have for us. I'm Daniel Tunnell, former long-distance skier, uh, who were able to and honored to pass the finish line as number one uh, in Vasaloppet uh, for three times. And during the career also did collect some podium places. So I guess you can understand how much Vasaloppet actually means to me. It's so much I actually have. It's hard for me to, to describe it, uh, to find the right words. It's more than a race. It's something that... Uh, built my identity during the years uh, so big part of who i am today and what i became as a person of course something i'm really proud and grateful of and i think the the professionality of the organization 
making a production around this race, this 90k race and, and this event is really important, I think. It's it's the role model for all kinds of ski races, especially the long distance ones. You always, as an organizer or a skier, compare with uh, Vasa Loppet and, and um, keep that, that as, as number one. Yeah, when it comes to the best tactical approach of Vasa Loppet, I want uh, to believe that uh, it's still possible to, to win by playing it the offensive way, push uh, to the bottom of your sources, uh, skiing with your heart, uh, trying to do your attacks and sprints along the track and, and uh, pushing it hard in the, in the long uphills and finally being able to get your gap into the, the, the sprint and the finish line. I think it's uh, so beautiful. And, and still, it seems like it's harder and harder, but I, I, I still dream and believe and hope it's, it's possible to do it that. I don't know if it's the best tactical approach, but uh, to stick into those kind of scenarios. This is Lena Korsgren, Team Ramudden, and uh, I was the winner of Vasaloppet 2020 this year. I'm very glad and thankful that we could um, race Vasaloppet this winter before the pandemic uh, came to us. And of course, uh, we have also a little bit worry about the snow uh, because uh, when I race uh, one week before at Sjevasan between Oxberg and Mora, it was a lot of rain and uh, many, many warm degrees. So me and the whole team, and I think uh, everybody who compete at Vasalopet was uh, very glad and thankful for the snowing uh, who come, um, who came uh, the night to Vasalopet. So Tommy, when you listen to uh, our athletes when they talk about Vasalopet, but what kind of stories do you have personally? Not the ones when, when you were involved, but kind of going back to your childhood watching Vasalopet. Is there any race from the history? My first memory of Vasalopet is when I was a volunteer in 19, I'm born in 61, so I think this was end of 60s. There it was manual ski marking at the start area in Zealand, and uh, we had a uh, a small brush and a painting and then we have a list with 200 names to we make a check and then we made with this small brush a mark on the skis and I was marking the skis of Vladimir Vedenyan from Soviet. Uh, that is my first memory of Vasalopet as a volunteer, end of 60s. And then, of course, I have been raised and uh, born and uh, been living in uh, in Salem for my childhood. And uh, there was a sort of always a dreaming of one time go Vasalopet. And uh, and I did it. Uh, I was, as I said before, uh, a biathlist in the Swedish national team. By then, that time, uh, also biathlon was in classic technique, so it was the same. Yeah, I skied Vasalopet in 1984 and uh, had a position 26, I think. And that was, the, I was almost a hero at home in my village because I was uh, high up. That uh, I was also Olympic participant in Sarajevo 84, but nobody cared about that. But when I was 26 in Vasalopet, I was uh, a big star at home for some weeks, I remember. 
So let's talk about your career, your biathlon career. You mentioned you were at the Olympics. Still, it is a big deal. And of course, Vasa Lopez 26 is the great uh, uh, position as well. But how did you kind of get involved and, and what's kind of your, your memories from your own professional career? Yeah, I was uh, competing in cross-country skiing from I was maybe five years old. The big hero then was Sixten Jernberg, who was uh, a very big uh, cross-country skier. He had done the Vasaropet sometimes also and won it. Uh, he was the big star when I was r- really little. And then, uh, yeah, we was uh, training, competing in cross-country skiing, traveling around in the valley, not far away. We never stayed overnight somewhere. We was traveling because it was so many cross-country skiing competitions. So if you was driving one hour, uh, different directions, it was competitions all over. So I competed in cross-country in winter, and then when I was 14 years, I uh, started uh, to test biathlon. By then, that time, it was a big bore. We were shooting on 150 meter with a 6.5 millimeter caliber, which is a a uh, heavy uh, yeah, rifle. It's not like today at all. And sometimes it's what fog, so the race could not take part because 150 meter visibility and heavy snowfall or fog, it's not so easy. And there was no spectators because these races always took part in military areas or out somewhere far away out in the forest. And uh, the shooting ranges was always, uh, or many, many times it was... Uh, they have put up some paper targets uh, somewhere in the forest and we were shooting on. And then I was uh, yeah, I was competing in biathlon, as I said. Uh, I was in Sarajevo 84. I was in some world championships. And then I uh, very early started. I stopped my career because when I was 26, I, I came to the conclusion that I cannot live on my parents, live at home. I must create my own life, try to have some education and so. So then I went to school in Stockholm for University of Physical Education. So I am a sport coach. And then I was coach for the Swedish biathlon team from some years ago for Olympics in Albertville, Lillehammer. And then I stopped with that, 95. And then I was coach in a biathlon school till 2000. And then I was called by a Vasalop person and asked if I was would start working for Vasalop. And then I, so I came in on that. And that was in 2000. And after that, I've been a Vasalop. From the beginning, I was responsible for Salen and the start area and the organization up there. And then I think it was in 2006, we had a, Vasaloppet was one stage of the normal uh, cross-country World Cup. So Daniel Tinell, he had one victory in World Cup, and that was in Vasaloppet 2006, I think. Uh, and then we uh, we we prepared uh, a, a parallel organization, you could say, for the World Cup part. Because there, according to the rules, we should pick them up at the airport. We should organize uh, accommodation, VAX cabins, and uh, team captains meetings and these things. So I had responsible for the World Cup section, and Rolf Hammar was responsible for the main organization. So that is about my history. Was it a, speaking of that? Was it a good experience, or was it kind of one in a once in a lifetime kind of thing that Vasal was part of the actual World Cup? It was a good experience, but the big challenge and the almost impossible challenge was 
sponsorship, TV rights, and these things. Sport, uh, sportly, it was not a problem at all. The problem was the sponsors, for example, Vasalopet, we have an agreement with IBM. They should be visible in the TV broadcast. And FIS have an agreement with uh, Ego Timing or whatever. Yeah, so the sponsor contracts that FIS brought in and what we had, that was the big challenge. And it was so big, so it was it did not come good out because both sponsors was disappointed because they thought they should be visible more. So I think, and that is very good that Ski Classic don't bring their own sponsors into the events. And that I, I'm sure that David and the guys knew that it's will these events must have their own sponsor structure and that could not be interfered by Ski Classic sponsors. So, so, so we learned a lot from that. Probably a good experience, experience, as you said. But going back to Korea a little bit, uh, Olympics, of course, '84. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And also, what is your personally? What do you think is your best result? Yeah, I was number ten in a World Cup race in Lachtis in biathlon many years ago, and I would say one result we had. Uh, you should not um, officially in a podcast maybe say, but I will say it. It was in World Championships in Rupolding Biathlon 1985. In the relay, Sweden was number five. And we know what happened in the big middle of 80s about uh, doping. Uh, the teams who was in front of us was Soviet, DDR, West Germany, Norway. And I'm quite sure that I'm really sure that two, maybe three of these teams cheated. So uh, we was number five, but uh, with uh, these countries before, Soviet, DDR, West Germany and Norway. So uh, with with better doping control, I think I'm quite sure we would have the medal that day. Yeah, those were crazy times, of course. And yeah. uh, But the Olympics, 84, I mean, of course, that is a dream. Just to participate is a dream for many uh, athletes. It's kind of a lifetime goal. How did you feel when you were there finally and you kind of achieved your goal that here I am? Yeah, it's a long time. I I was only taking part in one race. I did the second leg in the relay and we did not have a good result. I think we was number eight or something like that. But uh, of course, it was a big, uh, big thing to to be there, see all the stars. Thomas Vassberg, Ingemar Stenmark, uh, and the biathlete with uh, Peter Angerer, Alexander Tishonov. It was a lot of, yeah, it was a big thing to be be in this race or to take part in Olympics, opening ceremony and uh, all this. And it was very, very much security, I remember. It was military people with uh, rifles all over the area watching. So one day when I had been training, I felt... Uh, I saw that I had some biathlon ammunition in my pocket. And to bring that in the Olympic Village was not possible. So I just put or buried it in the snow and went away. I remember. <laughs> so I well, threw away some shots there. Well, that's interesting to, to hear. But also that time in 1984 was when the skating technique was it in, in its infancy. And I, mm. I remember seeing a lot of, uh, even watching the games back, back then. And also after after that, I've seen it many times on YouTube, you know, the kind of the single kick. And you mentioned Vasperi and uh, Gundesvan and those guys fighting against e- each other. Yes. Uh, and so much has, of course, technically happened. Yeah. Uh, 
And also, you mentioned biathlon, that back in the day, it was very different. But you must be kind of surprised and I guess happy as well to see how much that particular sport has developed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has been a huge development. So now it's, uh, yeah, it's on a really high level and uh, and, uh, and the athletes are well paid, the top athletes, which is very, very nice. So it's really good to see. Is there anything we could learn from, from them? I mean, in cross, regular cross-country uh, skiing business, uh, that we could learn from biathlon and can I do the same? I think the ski, the Visma Ski Classic, uh, I think the attitude of the athletes, it's more friendly in biathlon and in ski classic compared to normal cross-country skiing. I was uh, sport director for World Championships in Falun 2015 for two years. So there it was much more suspicious uh, thinkings, uh, closed uh, doors to the VEX cabins, not so much help between teams like I can see both in Wismar Ski Classic and in Biathlon. So there I think we have a more friendly attitude to each other in Biathlon and in Wismar Ski Classic than they have in normal cross-country skiing. I know, for example, Sweden, Norway, it's always a, it's only not in media, it's a fight between this in sometimes in a negative way, which we don't have in Biathlon and not in Ski Classic. So we have learned something, <laughs> or what you should say. That's good, that's good. I mean, uh, there was a good segue I was going to ask you about Falun and, and 2015, the World Championships, because you took a break from Vasa Lopet and went there. Uh, were you sports director there as well? Yes, there I uh, had to learn about Nordic Combined and ski jumping also, which was for me new. Yeah, I was uh, on leave for 18 months from Vasaloppet, and then uh, yeah, I was sport director for the Falun Games. But overall, what kind of experience was that? Besides that, of course, the attitude might have been a little bit more hostile. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was, uh, yeah, we had a very good organization, a good uh, feeling, everything. But, and then I think it's important that, because in the World Championships, FIS, they give out a hosting contract, 80 pages with uh, what you must do and what you must not do. So in one way, it's easy because they directed everything down to how many pencils it should be in the jury room. <laughs> and uh, so in one way, it's easy to do it. And in another way, it's difficult to follow these very strict rules. So I think it's good that Ski Classic, of course, Ski Classic have rules for the athletes, for the events, but this rules is not 80 pages, it's 15. And that is good enough, I would say. We should not have more strict special rules for Ski Classic. That it's important that the events must have their own atmosphere and their own feeling, which is not possible in a FIS World Championships. It says fallen on the start numbers, otherwise everything looks the same wherever you are in the world. Uh, and that is in one way not so good, I would say. But also understand it's necessary to have a format and it should follow the rules. But basically yeah. what you're saying is some flexibility is needed every once in a once in a while. But Yeah. But, but it was but the, sometimes too much, I would say. <laughs> but you had a nice good games though. Very good yeah, yeah, games, yeah. Uh, successful, you made money and all that. Do you think Falun will 
be hosting again in the future? Yes. Yeah, I am quite sure they will apply for that again. Maybe in, a, yeah, I have heard some uh, or read something in media that they are now trying to put up an, uh, a bid for maybe 2030, around there, 2032, 34 or whatever. In that area, they would like to have it again. And then how did it feel to go back to Vasalopet after 18 months being away? Yeah, it was, uh, I came back on, uh, because that year, the first year I have heard of is what Vasalopet not taking part the first Sunday of March. Because if we have done that, we would have had the same day as the men's 50K in Fallen. So the Vasalopet week was moved one week. So I came back uh, in the middle of the week and jumped direct into the organization here and worked. So it was a very quick coming back, you would say. But then after Vasalopet, I got sick. I was at home for three weeks with fever and uh, barking, and I was very sick because I was so I was too tired after that. But it was, I would say, it's it was a nice 18 months, but it was good to come back to the normal Vasalopet life again. And before we wrap up, uh, let's listen to some regular folks, some uh, amateur skiers, the ones that you keep talking about, the ones that are really important for you and for every uh, event uh, organizer. Let's find out their stories about Vasalopet. Hi, this is Fabio. I've done Vasalopet four times. The first time was in uh, 2014. Conditions were very soft back then, and I remember it was very wet and very warm. All in all, uh, quite a painful story, actually. Uh, not only for me, luckily, but for everyone. And this is something that I really like about Vasalopet. Uh, every time I started, I could feel a special bond to, to the people around me, like my fellow participants. And no matter how bad, actually, things were or got... I always felt like we're in this together and you cheer each other up or at least you can you can share a good laugh together and things instantly get way easier. Uh, when it comes to the track, I really like the last part. For me, the race is almost done when I'm in Oxbury. With less than I with less than a third to go, I get that okay that's it feeling and I always find myself thinking no way I'm not going to finish this one. And from there on, it's like more and more joy and excitement. The closer Mura gets, knowing that I'll be able once again to cross that finish line. And that is, is just an incredible feeling. Once you're there, it gets me every time. So Tommy, we talked about future a little bit, of course. And now when you listen to all these stories uh, about Vasalopet, uh, what kind of stories would you like to hear people telling in the future in terms of Vasalopet? Yeah, first of all, you know, the elite skiers, I would like that they still uh, are happy and positive of our uh, hospitality, taking care of them, and then we can organize professional, fair, safe competitions. That is uh, important. And uh, from the amateurs, uh, as we already see, they are... Many, many people are, they are so happy, so they are uh, crying when they're passing the finish line that they have done this race. And that is still important to 
have these histories. And then they go home and have the barbecue in summer. They should be proud when they talk about Vasaloppet and and bring even more skiers and runners and bicyclists coming back here. So we should. It's important that we are uh, helping them to to make their dreams come true in the future. And what do you think are the three main selling points of Vasaloppet? Professional organization where you can trust on the organization that it will be a good experience is important. Of course, we should work with uh, social media. We should have uh, technically uh, things, but still also we must, they must be able to meet the, the physically people because we have, we got so much in positive things about our volunteers that they are so friendly they are helpful they uh, take care and that is still important that people feel that they have been that we can that we will see each individual when they come here not only a crowd of people that they will be seen from us and just to continue that thought a little bit uh, what are the uh, key challenges that you are facing at the moment that you need to at least try to do something about Uh, in the short term, we have the corona, and we must. I think we must be more. Uh, when you pay the money to the Vasaloppet, you must be sure that uh, the race will take place, or if not, you can have the money back. That will be important in the short term, and also maybe due to corona, we must think about how we deliver start numbers, how we uh, organize in the toilets and these things, so people feel safe and. Uh, So they would like to come here without getting sick. And in the long term, we have, of course, the snow and the climate change. Uh, what will happen in the future? Because even if we can put out a lot of snow, if people have no snow at home, I think it will be not so many people. The main race they will come for, because that is a historically thing, but uh, open Vasa and all these races, it could be problems if there will be warmer weather. But then we have our summer events. So... We will see. <clears throat> Can I wrap things up? Uh, let's talk about the next uh, winter as Vasaloppet. And you already mentioned Corona. Are you guys preparing a little bit differently? Do you have a, a backup plan, like a plan B, if the situation still remains? Yeah, we will. Uh, no, we will. First of all, we, f- we will organize this uh, summer event, like I said, the Hema Vasan. And direct after that, we will start with the plans for the winter. We will follow the authorities, what happened there, and then we will start. But I I think if we cannot organize in a normal way, we will try to split up with more weekends, with smaller groups, with uh, open feeding stations, nice tracks, but maybe not all people at the same time in a way. So because I, I know that a lot of people who would like to come here and take part. But if the authorities don't let us have uh, big crowds, we must follow that in a way. We will see. But we will start in the end of August preparing. And as a last question, when will you guys get the next Swedish uh, Vasaloppet winner on the men's side? Of course, Britta and Lina are really strong and they've won. But on the men's side, and who could that be? I think uh, it was quite, it has been quite close the last years, but then has been so strong Norwegians. I really hope it will happen the coming winter. And uh, uh, yeah, there is a lot of uh, good guys in the different pro teams. So uh, Anton Karlsson could be there. He has been up for many years and it could be, yeah, there's a lot of guys who 
are able to do it. And it would be very, very good if it happened in the next winter. Well, thank you very much, Tommy. It was really nice uh, chatting with you. Uh, good stuff. I wish you all the best. Of course, we are facing uh, challenging times. Let's hope that we have a good season next year. Good Vasalopet as well. And uh, it's uh, probably, I know that you will be really busy from now on. So good luck. Thank you very much. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.